Hills and Valleys is a podcast that uncovers stories from leaders in healthcare, tech, and everything in between. Straight from the heart of Silicon Valley, we give you a look at the good, the bad, and the future, one episode at a time. Brought to you by Petro Medical. Hi, everyone. My name is Omar Khatib, and I'm here at ASN 2018 Kidney Week, and I'm here with Dr. Hung. Dr. Hung, thank you for joining us. Sure. And uh, before we get things started, you know, Dr. Hung, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is Michael Hung, and I'm a clinical nephrologist with a particular interest in uh, critical care nephrology. I work at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and um, one of my roles there is I'm the Associate Chief for Clinical Affairs for our division. Fantastic. And I understand that you just co-chaired uh, the Critical Care Update this week, correct? Yep. Um, it's a, a great pleasure to serve as a, a co-course uh, coordinator for the Critical Care Nephrology uh, pre-course that we have here at ASN. And it's a great opportunity to, to chat up uh, some of the real leaders in the uh, field of acute care nephrology and critical care nephrology and uh, get updates on what's going on in the field uh, and, and to get people up to speed on best practices. So let me ask you, when you were in medical school, what, what got you interested in, in nephrology? I, I take it you first got an interest in internal medicine and went into nephrology, but what, what's the story there? Yeah, uh, it, it's like you said, in medical school, I learned about internal medicine and I just really enjoyed the, the patient care aspects. I really enjoyed the longitudinal aspect of uh, managing chronic diseases and, and working with patients and families over time. Uh, so I, I did an internal medicine residency. I wasn't necessarily interested in nephrology coming out of medical school, but then in residency, I really got to know some of our nephrologists at the University of Cincinnati where I trained, and they were just fantastic teachers, fantastic role models, and eventually became uh, fantastic mentors to me. So it's really uh, following in their footsteps, seeing what how they manage patients with complex kidney diseases is really um, them that I think inspired me to, to follow in their footsteps into nephrology. Was there any uh, point in time or anything specific that you remember that uh, kind of inspired you in the direction of, of nephrology when you were when you were training or when you were in your third and fourth year? Um, in medical school, actually, I guess there, there was, now that you mention it, uh, there was an attending of mine on one of my very first general medicine rotations, uh, Dr. Jim Kaufman, who I still remember and have had a chance to catch up and talk with. Um, he was my attending. He's a nephrologist at, uh, in Boston. And uh, we, I was presenting a case to him, and just his ability to pull out what I thought were not necessarily relevant details from the case and, and synthesize it together and take pieces of a puzzle and make a full picture of it um, just blew my mind. I mean, the, the ability for him as a diagnostician to come up with what was most likely going on with our patient. And, and of course, he was right. Um, and it, it just completely blew my mind. And uh, uh, again, at that time, I didn't necessarily think I was going to be a nephrologist right away, but when I think back, he was probably my first nephrology role model. It really showed me um, the thought process, the breadth of knowledge that nephrologists need to have in understanding all the different systems of the body mm -hmm. and uh, to come up with uh, the, the right diagnosis for our patients. What was the most memorable thing that he ever told you? Um, I, I don't know about specific things. I'm not sure I can remember specific things that, that uh, uh, he might have told me, but it was just moments like that on rounds where those, those classic light bulb moments, you know, um, I, I had them watching him. 
he, he and and seeing how he was able to put things together, um, and that's what I knew I wanted to be like. So that Very was really nice. that example. And now you know. So this week with. Uh, Kidney Week, it seems like there's, there's a lot of excitement and it's a very active group on Twitter and everything. You know, from the critical care update, any anything specific that, uh, you know, sort of worth mentioning for the younger nephrologists that weren't able to make the meeting? Yeah. Um, we don't want to give them all, all, the, all the cliff notes, but... No, you, yeah, no, no. It's, uh, that's a really challenging question because, you know, we had, um, I think it was over 30 talks uh, from different speakers covering a variety of topics. Uh, some more critical care focus, what the nephrologist needs to know when rounding in the ICU, but from uh, an intensivist perspective, and then several more that were more nephrology specific, mm -hmm. um, like the uh, tips for how to best run your uh, continuous renal replacement therapy program, for example. Uh, so there were a lot of great things. One talk that I enjoy every year um, was given by uh, Kathleen Liu, who is uh, both an intensivist and a nephrologist. Um, she's from UCSF, and she gave us an updates in uh, critical care uh, nephrology over the over the past year. So really up, uh, looking at some of the latest literature. So that's always nice to get a real expert's opinion mm -hmm. as to how to interpret the literature, and we got to talk about things such as uh, the latest uh, sepsis guidelines and things like that. We had uh, um, very uh, well-known people, uh, re renowned experts like John Kellum and Ravi Mehta come and give us uh, talks on, uh, Ravi gave an amazing talk on fluids as drugs, and uh, there's been a lot of literature on that in the past couple of years, and so it was really great to hear his perspectives on what were um, some of the key points, some of the best practices that we should be adopting. Um, and one particular area that I'm interested in is the, the problems that develop with fluid overload and uh, after resuscitating, we know we should resuscitate people, but how quickly do we resusc uh, switch from that resuscitation phase into a de-resuscitation or de-escalation phase? Um, that's, that's still more to be uh, determined in that area, but I think the recognition that we can't just keep giving these patients fluid, so we have, mm -hmm. to, we have to think about when we um, de-escalate, start to even pull fluid off um, to help our patients really recover. So. Um, and you mentioned Twitter, so people can uh, check out the hashtag CritCareNeph um, and uh, see a lot of the highlights, including pictures of slides and things like that, which our speakers are great uh, with sharing. So. And CritCareNeph, that's uh, C-R-I-T-C-A-R-E-N-E-P-H? Yep. Okay. Yep. Fantastic. Now, one thing that's been interesting, you know, so we're visiting here from Silicon Valley is a lot of the new and interesting technologies that are coming out now but more importantly what kind of lies ahead for physicians you know down the line in the future in terms of augmenting skills and uh, really giving access to things that you didn't traditionally have access to in medicine but if you kind of put the futurist hat on right now what what is the future of nephrology kind of look like for you let's say five ten years from now if you yeah. had a magic wand and you can see sure. see or have access to sure. anything sure um, I think there's a few things that, that I would um, uh, think about. One is, and, and actually several of these things uh, did come out in for discussion at the uh, Critical Care Nephrology pre-course. Uh, so one is the concept of uh, alert systems and associated clinical decision support systems for acute kidney injury. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, at this point, I think that we all feel like we do a pretty good job recognizing acute kidney injury, identifying it. But the reality is, a lot of times we're fairly late uh, in the game, and so. Um, 
lot of people are working on different predictive analytics uh, mm -hmm. type work in uh, especially with using uh, the electronic medical record to try to predict which patients are at highest risk for acute kidney injury and in particular which patients um, may be already developing acute kidney injury. Um, we do know that alerts alone are not going to be enough. Just, just telling people there's concept of alert fatigue unfortunately. There's people, physicians get overloaded with the alerts that come up from the electronic medical record. But it seems to be, at least in some studies, that when those alerts are associated with um, some specific recommendations, you know, what we call a clinical decision support, um, that does seem to result in, in a, a change in behavior, which can in turn uh, result in decreasing, um, potentially decreasing the risk for acute kidney injury. And over the past couple of years, there have been a couple of studies uh, that have really suggested that's possible. So that, that I think, is, is pretty exciting. I think in the future, it'd be, uh, I, I, I expect that we'll see more and more of these kind of alerts um, with a clinical decision support modules, probably not just in acute kidney injury, but uh, I think acute kidney injury is a key area for that. So um, another area, I think, is um, we had a, a speaker come and talk about the use of point-of-care ultrasound. And oh. so that, that is a, not a new technology per se, but using its application in the ICU and it, for nephrologists mm -hmm. um, is a relatively uh, new pursuit. And I believe here at ASN they have a, um, a brief course for that and mm -hmm. certainly at some of the other meetings around uh, uh, nephrologists are starting to have to get training in point-of-care ultrasound use. And it could be um, an interesting way to guide fluid removal to guide and fluid administration uh, mm -hmm. in the future. I think there's a little bit more work that, that needs to go into that, but it's certainly um, coming our way. And um, the speaker, uh, Nathaniel Reisinger, in our course, even um, made the analogy that, you know, it's the modern stethoscope, is these uh, portable uh, handheld uh, point-of-care ultrasounds. So, so I could see uh, technologies like that uh, coming along, enhancing our ability to assess patients. And then uh, a third area that I, I'm particularly excited in is uh, basically trying to uh, better identify different subtypes of patients with acute kidney injury mm. um, to, to guide our therapy of them. So the concept of precision medicine basically. Is that, and when you say subtypes, are you referring to like what, what would be the rifle score or is that or is No not not I'm still a novice yeah, no, no, I'm no. learning more. So the rifle score would give you give us um, a staging, so severity of acute kidney injury. But when you think about it, acute kidney injury is a syndrome. Right? All it describes is a, a decline in somebody's kidney function that happens pretty quickly, just, just like the name uh, sounds. But the different causes for it are numerous, innumerable really. Okay? And so um, why do we call the whole umbrella acute kidney injury and try to treat all acute kidney injury? We should be thinking more about, okay, this is the acute kidney injury subtype associated with this, or maybe because of this genetic predisposition maybe, or this enzyme defect, or et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's a future that I think could be very exciting. We've of course seen this in the field of oncology, 
right? Lung cancer is not lung cancer anymore. Breast cancer certainly not breast cancer. We're talking about um, what types of receptors, what kind of genetic mutations there may be, and that's guiding what type of therapy is offered. And and because we know that the different types of, say, breast cancer will respond differently to different treatments, okay? We don't have that yet in uh, nephrology in general, um, and certainly not in acute kidney injury, but I'm, I'm very excited. There's a lot of work going on in that, and I'm very hopeful that in the future we will have um, some more of that, you know, what we're calling precision medicine, where we can not just take a patient and say, oh, this patient has acute kidney injury, and we're focusing on this heterogeneous syndrome of acute kidney injury, but applying it to one person. Hopefully there will be a day, um, and not in the not too far future, where we can look at this patient. It's like, okay, their syndrome is acute kidney injury, but this is the this this is their these are their characteristics. This is a particularly pro-inflammatory um, subtype, or this is a, they have this genetic predisposition, or or something else uh, like that, where we can then use that information to provide more targeted therapy. Um, that will be beneficial to them and not use therapy that won't be beneficial to them that might have side effects. Mm. So, and so, you know, as a nephrologist between, you know, having predictive health technologies where you can see uh, an event like an AKI occurring in the future and of course with those patients who come in and have AKI precision medicine to have very more or a lot more targeted therapies, between those two things, which one do you see coming faster for nephrologists is more of a reality because a lot of these things take a few years not only to develop but also for for adoption and behavior modification but between those two things do you feel like they go hand in hand or one will precede the other i i think it's i think they will go hand in hand to some degree i mean you you have to um, be able to identify ways to even define different subtypes and then you need to look at those subtypes and um, do clinical trials to show that it does matter um, having the different subtypes so I think it's an iterative thing um, the clinical trials will inform further subtypes using those subtypes will inform the design of future clinical trials that are needed ultimately to show that something makes a difference uh, in patients but in in uh, acute kidney injury we have a ton of unfortunately negative clinical trials uh, meaning that they did not show uh, significant benefit in mortality, which is of course one of the big things that we're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the thoughts is that, well, maybe we didn't show benefit because we're treating everybody the same way, but they're not all the same. And maybe there are patients that will respond to this therapy, um, uh, and there are some that won't. And if we can pick the ones that will, that's where the, we're going to get the biggest bang for our buck and, again, limit uh, the risk of, uh, from, from exposure to something a patient's not going to respond to. Got it. A couple more questions. We want to be mindful of your time. We appreciate you taking sure. time with us. But for, you know, you mentioned earlier with, uh, with a physician who mentored you that a lot of times it felt like he took a few random pieces of the puzzle to complete a mm-hmm. full picture. And I think that it seems that a lot of medicine has to do with that. The older version, which is you watch uh, your attendings and, and senior physicians, almost, almost like magicians, right, mm-hmm. do these things. But as technology comes out, it sort of evens the playing field and standardizes these things. But there's still a lot of young nephrologists out there trying to learn how to improve their intuition when it comes to this. Mm-hmm. I think technology intuition needs to go hand in hand. So, you know, kind of a big question here, but any, any advice to younger nephrologists who are trying to improve their skills, you know, and... And essentially become more more like clinical magicians while the technology yeah. get, catches up yeah um, I mean I, I 
medicine is still very much an apprenticeship, and uh, there's a reason we call it practicing medicine. You know, um, I I certainly don't think I have all the answers. I really one of my joys is coming to work every day and feeling knowing that I'm going to learn something new every day, and uh, I've certainly be, been humbled many times. So. I, the advice I give my fellows is uh, the day you think you know it all, that's definitely the day you should hang up your uh, stethoscope and, and call it quits. Um, you should be humble. You should recognize that uh, medicine is humbling and uh, patients don't follow textbooks. You know, patients are complicated systems. But ultimately, I think it's getting as much exposure um, practicing, being exposed to different things, reading on what you're seeing, reading up on what you're seeing, um, doing some research that way, um, and having an open mind to things. Mm -hmm. I do think um, there are uh, things that can help with that in the future just because there's so much information out there um, So having some new technologies to help streamline the way information is processed or even interpreted mm -hmm. could be helpful But at the end of the day again because patients don't follow every rule, right? Um, that's just not you know, I always say medicine is not engineering. It's just not as precise uh, right now um, uh, if you look at the fact that any lab value, there's not one normal level. It's always a range, right? So that alone tells you that there's a lot of um, fluidity and variability. And so I, I don't see, um, that's why I don't see computers, even AI, um, taking over um, a physician's intuition. But also that intuition, it just has to be developed over time, mm -hmm. seeing many patients, practicing, learning, speaking to others. And that's one reason that I really enjoy being in academics is because um, I'm a better doc when I go to the bedside and I have to explain my thought process, not just to the patient, of course, but uh, also to my learners, to my fellows and the students uh, on rounds. And I have to be able to demonstrate that, yeah, there was a thought process in this. I, I, I did think through these things and this is how we got to that uh, point. So it keeps me on my game. Very and nice. again, I get to learn something new every day. So. Nice. I guess it goes with that adage, uh, he or she who teaches learns, right? Yep. So it sounds like, you know, I guess your big uh, takeaway to younger nephrologists is that to, to, to always stay curious and intellectually Absolutely. driven. That sounds like it's the key. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned um, the idea about AI and computers not replacing doctors, and we absolutely agree. I think there's a big misnomer out there that that's what um, was driving Silicon Valley. But, you know, the AI has to learn from something, right, or someone, and, and usually that's the human being. Um, and so it sounds like, you know, the the way that medicine's moving forward is not necessarily replacement, but more of an augmenting of skills, so that physicians can kind of go back to the patient's bedside instead of spending more time with technology. Does that does that sound correct? Yeah. No, I I think that would be great. Ultimately, medicine is very much a, a, a human interaction specialty. You know, that's at the end of the day, that's my favorite thing. I I love my toys, I love my technology, my labs and all that stuff, um, but ultimately I like being able to sit down one-on-one -on -one with a patient or, or with their family and to explain what's going on. Um, there's nothing intuitive about kidney disease mm -hmm. and uh, especially with what I do in critical care nephrology, these patients are often very sick and um, I'm glad that I'm able to sit down, take some time and, and explain it to them and uh, 
hopefully make it uh, make sense of it for them and, and guide them through that journey. So, a couple of quick rapid fire questions, and we're going to wrap up. And again, thanks for spending spending some time with us. But you mentioned uh, a crit care, hashtag CritCareNef on Twitter. But aside from that, you know the beauty of the internet is that you can get so much information. Any other additional resources, uh, Twitter handles? Uh, Sure. LinkedIn. What do you What do you follow? Where do you go for for information? Yeah. Well, certainly related to kidney disease, one of the exciting things has been uh, NEPHJC, which is uh, N E P H J C. Uh, the J C is for Journal Club, mm-hmm. and so they do an online journal club a couple times a month, and uh, it's it's they pick an article, they'll spread it out, and actually they even make it easier. Um, they will do a summary, a visual abstract, and there will be a blog um, giving some opinions, a, a, a quick summary of it, and then. Um, there will be a, a Twitter discussion using that hashtag where people can uh, comment and there's a moderator who will ask questions based on the article and uh, oftentimes they're able to get the authors of the article to, to come in as well. So it's a great way to keep up on the literature, to, to get opinions from the authors potentially and certainly experts in the field and seasoned clinicians um, and it's a great way to uh, feel part of the community and, and learn so you know I'm, I'm representing here oh, myself. Oh you're repping it. My, you know, uh, look at that. NEFJC pin and uh, Very uh, nice. Here, so. Very ni- and that's yeah. at NEFJC on Twitter? Yep. Wonderful. Yeah, so a couple times a month and uh, they have a, uh, one on European time as well as one uh, North America uh, time. So Does it get a little competitive or is it, is it mainly what, uh, an open public forum? No, it's, 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 it's amazingly collaborative and, and friendly, yeah. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Nephrologists are very friendly people, I noticed. Absolutely. This, is, this has been a very friendly and nice meeting. Everyone's happy, everyone's getting along well. So, and then what about offline? You know, if you had to recommend, you know, a few books, is there any books that you have you read? Not necessarily on nephrology, but in terms of, you know, you're a teacher and a leader in, in, in your field. So, any books like that that are really good for self development and leadership? Anything that comes to mind? Um, oh, for self development and leadership, I mean, um, there's a variety of books out there. I, I always think the Malcolm Gladwell books are, are very interesting just in terms of understanding different thought processes. You know, you mentioned leadership, and one thing that I actually teach in a, a course at the University of Michigan Medical School called Leadership. And uh, Is that open for re- all residents and med students? or It's, it's, a, it's a medical student required course, actually. Oh, yeah, so, so wow, it's Yeah, it's, it's pretty uh, exciting. We developed this uh, leadership curriculum starting a few years ago. About This is our fourth year, I believe. And, um, you know, we're one of the uh, uh, few and first medical schools in the country to develop leadership really into the curriculum. And, you know, it's, it's, it's part of every business school, um, but uh, I, I think it definitely has a role in medicine. So one of the things that I feel like I have really benefited from uh, in terms of leadership training is uh, uh, doing some of these uh, online a strength finders kind of thing. One thing that comes yeah. to mind is like the Gallup Strength Finder yeah. and really kind of understanding a little bit more about myself and what my strengths are. Understanding what your strengths are necessarily means you understand what your non-strengths or weaknesses mm-hmm. uh, are. And, and honestly, that's helped me uh, quite a bit in my professional interactions, uh, working with teams and things like that, just to know a little bit more about myself. So um, so I, I wouldn't have necessarily guessed that before I did it, but uh, it, I, I have found that that um, to be really helpful. So for people that have an opportunity to, to um, participate in those kinds of things, learn a little bit more about them. There's many different ones other than the um, Gallup Strength Finder, but it just gives you a, um, 
perspective on your leadership style, your learning style, your teaching style potentially, um, and, and your team interaction style, and those of others, and how they can be hopefully complementary as opposed to antagonistic. So Absolutely. Yeah. And it sounds like the big theme here and takeaway I think for a lot of us is that, you know, to be open-minded and more importantly curious, not only about yourself but the environment and things that you're in interacting mm -hmm. with. Yep. Well, fantastic. Well, uh, doctor, how can everyone find you online? Do you, do you have a Twitter handle? Uh, yeah, my Twitter handle is at Keeping It Reno. Um, oh, that's so that's very punny. Yeah, that's yeah, nice. So, yeah, so that's what I use it for. It's it's all about uh, um, uh, building up nephrology. Well, fantastic. Well, we really appreciate you taking time, and you know we're happy that nephrologists like you exist and can spend time inspiring us all. So thank you very much. Thanks.